I begin reading from verse 7 of chapter 5. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer works for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. We continue in our study through the book of James, and today our focus will be on verse 7 and verse 8. James has been leading us through the pathway to Christian maturity, and he's been showing us that we grow, we grow through being tested through the impact of God's word on us and through living consistent Christian lives and therefore producing a practical godly living in us. And now in our passage this afternoon, James urges us to learn to live according to God's word. He urges us to live according to God's schedule, God's timetable, not our schedule, not our timetable, not even that of man or anyone around us. And, and he's showing us that if we are going to live like that, we are to be patient and steadfast. And as he's writing this, he he is connecting this to what he had dealt with in verse 1 through to verse 5 of chapter, rather verse 6 of chapter 5. That when you are untreated unjustly or you feel this is injustice, what you need in that moment is to be patient and to be steadfast as you wait upon the Lord. When believers or us as believers, when we are suffering, and that's why when we are suffering because of being treated unjustly, it is logical that as Christians, we would cry and say to ourselves, why are they doing this to me? And you, you want it to end as soon as possible. And too often, at such times, we become tempted to take actions and to make our trials of injustice to end quickly. And this is what James wants us to appreciate, that when we are found in such times, Patience is what we need. And as James was writing this letter, we noted at the beginning of the letter that he was writing to Christians who are scattered, going through difficult times, but also the immediate passage in chapter 5, we show that he was writing to Christians who were suffering injustice. And they were going through the hands of individuals who had the, the power on their side, who had the advantage over them, and we saw that from uh, verse 1 through to verse 6 of chapter 5. 
But now what he says in verse 7 and verse 8 helps us to bring everything into the right perspective. And, and he shows us that hope in such times comes from a proper theological perspective. It is that when we look faithfully to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, and when we look to him and, and see the injustice that we are going through in light of his promised return, in light of the fact that he's coming again to put an end to the sins and the injustices of the world, it will make us stronger as believers and soldier on as we go through this life. And so we see that God through his servant James shows us that the strength that we need to be patient when treated uh, unjustly comes from fixing our hopes on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, and the justice that he will bring about when he returns. And James is saying it, it is this patience that will bring us hope. It's fixing our gaze, fixing our hopes on the return of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if this is true, that we are longing for the return of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we will learn to be patient and wait upon him. And we will be patient to the degree that we have our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ and his glorious return. And, and this is what James is really dealing with in these two, two verses. It's for us that as, as we hope we are not just hoping that this injustice soon comes to an end, but we are, we are hoping in the second coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is there that we, we put our gaze and that will teach us to learn to be patient even as we go through suffering, particularly when we suffer under the hands of injustice. And the first thing that he highlights for us in this passage is the attitude of spirit that we are to possess as believers. The attitude of spirit that we are to possess as believers. And he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord. And James builds his argument by telling us the attitude of spirit believers are to, to have. And it's the fact that they need patience when treated unjustly. It is patience. And, 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 and James highlights this in the verse, verse 7 and the first half of it. There we see. And this terminology appears several times within few verses in the letter of James. Just in verse 7 and 8, the word patience appears at least, the word patient appears at least three times. There at the beginning of verse 7, be patient therefore, brothers. And then towards the end of verse 7, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Verse 8 also, verse 8, you also be patient. 
Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now you could see that this element of patience is what James has in mind. That as you suffer at the hands of the unrighteous, or as you suffer unjustly, the attitude of spirit that is required in such times is that of patience. And this patience is fixed, is rooted in the fact that you are fixing your gaze on the return of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a quality that, that James wants us to develop if we are to live faithfully through the times of stress. But patience does not appear just overnight. We cannot simply turn on as it were and we immediately we are patient. James is saying this is something that we must grow into. Pray that the Lord grows us. Because when you are suffering, and especially if it's something that is unjust, what you want is for it to go. And if there's anything that you can do to make it go, you want to do it quickly. And James is saying, be patient. That's the attitude of spirit that we must possess. In saying this, James does not use the ordinary word for patience that is often used in uh, the New Testament. The common word for patience used in, in the New Testament is one that gives us the idea to abide under. That's a common word that is used. Uh, the, the word tends to be used for a settled attitude of the heart with respect to situations and circumstances. That's a common usage of, of the word patience. It, it talks of the settled attitude of the heart with re respect to situations or circumstances. But here, he uses a different uh, word in the original. One that gives us the idea of long-suffering or long-tempered. So it's not it's 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 having this attitude to to forbear for the wrongs that are being done to you. Now this word that is used for patience, it is often used in reference to God rather than man. It conveys the idea of one who's not easily irritated. One who is not easily annoyed by, by circumstances or situation. And this is what is used in reference to God. When the Bible says God is patient, it, talks of, it gives us the idea that God is long-suffering. It doesn't give us the idea that, that God has a settled attitude of the heart with regard to circumstances or situation. No, it gives us the idea that God is long-suffering. God has this spirit for, to bear with us. And this is a way that James uses here we, when it comes to Christians suffering unjustly. He says they need to be long-suffering, long-tempered. And this is the right word to use with regard to the, the pressures we feel in times of injustice. James is saying you must be long-suffering. It's not just having a heart that is attitude that is settled. No, you must be long-suffering. 
And this is important because most of us, when we are going through times of injustice, we, sadly, we undergo a remarkable personality change. We, we, we become frustrated. We become moody. In short, we become cantankerous. And James is saying, exercise long-suffering. And as you do so, exercise it with things or the people around you that are bringing about this frustration. And God calls us to exercise that same kind of spirit in such times when treated unjustly. If we are Christ-like, we will, not, we, will not, we, 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 will, we will not become moody. Yes, we are suffering injustice. Yes, it's painful. We are asking ourselves, why, Lord? How long, oh Lord? But the attitude we must possess is that of patience, being able to bear with what you are going through. Not easily being irritated by anything and everything and everyone. But to have the spirit that dwelled in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this attitude of spirit will also affect our outward uh, behavior. Because when, when your spirit, when your attitude of the spirit is not right, even your outward behavior is affected by the inner attitude of your spirit. It's easy to become moody, and it will show outwardly. It's easy to become frustrated, and it will show outwardly. And... James calls us that the attitude we are to possess is that of patience. And it is this hope that will make us stronger as Christians because our constant gaze is on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we gaze on him, we know he went through injustice, but he's also coming again and you put an end to all injustice including that which we are going through. Proverbs 14, verse 29. Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exhorts folly. Proverbs 16, verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. We will be patient to the degree that we have our eyes fixed on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his glorious return. If this is not true of us, if his second coming is not constant in our minds, is not constant in our view or in our perspective, 
whatever it is that we'll be going through, will we, we, we rob us of, of this, hope, this, this great hope that we have. We'll be so swallowed up in the moment that we forget that there is a God who sees all things and he says he's coming again. It's easy for us to, to lose this hope. And as we lose this hope, we slowly begin to doubt the truthfulness of God's word and our actions begin to show. We slowly begin to withdraw from the means of grace, from the intake of God's word, from fellowship with God's people, simply because of what is being done to us. We will have patience to the degree that we have our gaze constantly on the Lord Jesus Christ and his second coming. And James is saying, this is the attitude of spirit you are to possess. Patience. When we are being treated unjustly. But the second thing he highlights is he, he, he brings the perspective that will give this attitude of the Spirit. The perspective that will give this attitude of the Spirit. Be patient therefore, brothers, until the second coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. He's saying, yes, there is this element. You need to be patient. But the perspective that will bring this attitude of spirit is the fact that you are constantly longing for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, you wait upon him. And James, when he says in verse 7 that we are to do this until the coming of the Lord, he is calling us to, to look ahead. And as we look ahead, we gain the right perspective, the right viewpoint. And we begin to, to, to look forward to his, the return of Christ. And the look forward is described for us wonderfully in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 through to verse 4. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through to verse 4. This is what it means to, to wait upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible reads Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is seated, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 3 gives us a summary of what it means to wait on God. He's saying we must set our minds on things that are above. We must set our, our affections on things that are above. And as we set our minds on things that are above, we will long and look for those things. And then, as we do so, we will constantly remind ourselves that our life is hid in Christ. And when he appears in glory, we will appear with him. So we must set our minds on things that are above. But as we set our minds on things that are above, we must also seek those things that are above. So it's Waiting upon the Lord, that's a perspective that gives this attitude of the Spirit that he addressed in verse 1 
verse 7a, that of patience. And to anchor his view, he gives us an illustration in the second half of verse 7, the last half. See how if the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. And, and what if James is really saying there is that you should have this attitude that is reinforced by the right perspective, waiting on Christ. And as you wait on the Christ's return, think of the attitude of the farmer. The farmer knows that nothing will grow without those rains. And impatience on the part of the farmer can do nothing to speedy the growth of the seed. He cannot make the seed grow according to his schedule. He knows that he needs the rain. Until the rains come, there's nothing he can do. He can whine, he can be moody, he can be frustrated, but he knows that until the rains fall on the ground, there's nothing that he's able to do. And therefore, he must submit to God's perfect schedule to bring the rains at the right time. And so he waits in hope on God for the rains. And James is saying, we must do the same. Here, James is saying, patience is a passive virtue. It works. There's nothing that you can do to speed the results. It simply works. We are to be patient. Just as the way we become patient when we wait up for a wound to heal. If you've had a serious wound, you know that the doctors will do their part and they'll just tell you, let's wait for it to dry. You can, there's nothing you can do after that than simply to wait. And you can't do anything. And we need to remember that for everything we actually see God doing. There are a host of other things unseen that God is doing. When we see God at work or God reveals himself working in our lives, we must remember that there are so many other things that, the, that God is doing at the same time that is not revealed to us. And when all the pieces are placed in together, we will see that all things we are working for the good of those who love the Lord. And when we patiently wait upon him, and God in his right time, he makes things beautiful, we will look back with a heart that is full of gratitude that all things work for good. We should always remember that the object of living in this present world is not merely to have unlimited pleasure, unlimited comfort, to gather the most we can out of the world's treasures, or to win the brightest fame. We are here 
to grow into the beauty of Christ-likeness. We are here to do the portion that God has allotted to each one of us. We are here to do that which will bring the, the highest honor to God. And when we think of it this way, we will realize that this is the greatest honor that can be conferred upon us as believers. That we can occupy such a place in the thought of God and that God is pleased to carry out his purposes on earth through us as his pieces in his master plan. And therefore we must not doubt his ways. We must not for a moment think that our ways are better than God's ways. He is infinitely wiser than all of us put together. And he loves us deeply. It may be painful and hard, but in the pain and the hardness of things, there is the blessings of God. And James is saying this is, this is the perspective that will bring this attitude of the Spirit. To know that we serve a sovereign God. That even as we wait, we are not waiting in vain. We are not waiting in probability. We are waiting upon a God who is all-wise, all-knowing, and a God who is moving each pieces the way it ought to move according to his schedule. And as he does so, he's conforming us, changing us into the likeness of his son. And when we look back, we'll be able to see our God at work. And, and this, is, this, is, this is the lesson we need to learn. It's the lesson James wanted his audience, his first recipient to learn. It is also the lesson he wants us to learn. This is easier said than done, especially when you feel unjustly treated. You want to get even. You want to do something about it. You want to ensure that if... You have to clear your name. And James is saying, in as much as you want to do that, don't lose this perspective that there is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and there is a God who does all things as he pleases. Wait on him. Call on him. Cry out to him. Let him be the one to fight for you. Because like a farmer, unless it pleases God to open the heavens and bring water, rather the rains, there is nothing the farmer can do but to wait. And the third lesson James brings is the practice that will strengthen this attitude of the Spirit. The practice that will strengthen this attitude of the Spirit is dealt with the attitude of the Spirit who are to possess as believers, patience. Then the perspective that brings this attitude it's that of waiting upon the Lord. And now he brings the practice that will strengthen this attitude of the Spirit. Verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts 
For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James is saying the, the practice that will strengthen this attitude is establishing our hearts in this hope, the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. Just as the farmer, James wrote earlier on, he goes on to write, you also like the farmer, be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And the duty of establishing our hearts is ours to perform. Patience in this, in this, in this moment is passive. But here, establishing our hearts is a duty that James calls us to perform. We are to do this by accepting that all who desire to live a godly life in this world will suffer persecution. And we've seen this from, from, from the New Testament. We've seen this from church history. That all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. And the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, highlighting this same truth. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, again he writes in chapter 4 verse 12 through to verse 19, he writes to believers that they should not think it strange when they suffer the fiery trials that come upon us. And so we must establish our hearts in the hope of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to grow into the beauty of Christ. We are to do the portion that God has allotted to all of us. And as we do so, we will see that there is something wonderfully inspiring in the thought that God has a plan and purpose for our lives, each one of us. And to think that we do not come drifting into this world as the waves of the sea no direction at the mercies of the wind. If the wind change direction, we also change direction. No. We don't come drifting into the world like that. We come into the world. And God has a purpose for each one of us. We are sent from God, each one of us, to do his bidding. And as we do so, as we go through trials, as we go through suffering, as we suffer injustice, we must recognize that it is because we are on a mission for our God. We are to establish our hearts by submitting to God and not taking matters into our hands. We are not to repay evil for evil, but we are to make every good effort to live at peace with all men, even those who brings injustice upon us. We are to live at peace. We are to establish our hearts by also submitting to God's sovereign purpose in the, in the exercising of his justice. God has a sovereign purpose and he will exercise justice according 
to his will. We can only be patient when we remember that God's apparent, apparent delay is in reality the act of his redeeming grace. We may not know all the reasons. In fact, even if we didn't know any reasons as to why we are going through what we are going through, we may not know all the reasons that are in the mind of God for the pains and the sufferings that come into our lives. But we can trust our God. God who saved us from our sins. We can trust his infinite love for his own. We can trust his infinite wisdom. Like Job, we may not know what we are going through. But we know this God. He saved us from our sins when we deserve to be crushed in our sins and be sent to hell. God reached out to us. We don't know why he spared our lives when we are living in sin. He reached out to us, washed us by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. It is the same God who is behind that frowning providence. And we can submit to his sovereign wisdom. And establish our hearts in that truth. And when we get to heaven, we will be amazed. I mean, in those moments when somehow in our hearts or somewhere tucked in our minds, we, we are convinced or almost convinced that God was making a mistake. We could not say it. But somehow we thought, yeah, maybe God has made a mistake here. When we get to heaven in his presence, we will see that God is too wise to make a mistake. And everything he did by breaking into our plans, spoiling as it were our, our pleasant dreams and plans, it was not a mistake. It was for your good, my good, and for his glory. As the, and as the psalmist says in Psalm 31 and verse 15, our times are in thy hands, O Lord. We must establish our hearts. Rather, when we establish our hearts, we keep our eyes fixed on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our great example of hopeful patience in suffering. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world fully aware of what his mission was. He obeyed the authorities. And each day that passed, he knew that was drawing closer to that moment when he would be hanged on the cross. And he went through it all with hopeful patience, knowing that he could trust himself to his father who had given him this mission to come into this world. And as he did so, he fixed his eyes on the joy set before him. That when he gave up his life, he trusted the Father to raise him up on the third day and give him a name that is above all names. 
when we keep our gaze on our Savior, we go through with hopeful patience as we suffer. And we follow his example. And we too can trust the Father to hold us in times of suffering. We often think that we can do better if we were directing the affairs of our own lives. We think we could be more happier. We think we can, do, we, we, we can get the greatest good out of life if things were in our hands. We, we will eliminate all that is painful and all that is unpleasant. We will only have prosperity with no adversities, only joy or joys with no sorrows. We, we, we convince ourselves that we will ex exclude all pain and trouble from the world and that our days will be all sunny with blue skies and no clouds of storms. We would like to have our path that is soft, easy, spotted with flowers as we go to heaven. That's the kind of life we'd want to have, isn't it? And sometimes we tend to think, if only we were in charge. But do we really think we'll be any happier if we directed the affairs of our lives ourselves? You know your heart. You know yourself. You can't even trust your own reasoning process. And you know that for you to be given ultimate authority and power, that would be the greatest misfortune that can happen to the world and to yourself. You directing your affairs This world will be nauseous. Put an end to all rebellion, all fighting, all quarreling. And the last thing you notice, you are the only one still on earth and you put an end to yourself. And thanks be to God that we are the wise, sovereign God who possesses authority and power and directs all things according to his glory. Because God knows that what would give us the greatest pleasure today might do us harm in days to come. Present gratification might cause untold loss and hurt in the future. And that's why God, because of his love for us, he comes into our lives, alters our thinking, and sends us on the path that we might not want. And he's watching us. He's guiding us. He's leading us. He's lifting us. And as he's doing so, he wants us to be more focused on Christ, to have less hold of the things that weigh us down, and to have this healthy gaze, this holy gaze 
on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do so, when we come out of this path and we look back to what God has brought us through, we can say with Job, I heard of you, now I know you, God. And you realize that all the pleasures and the delights that occupied our minds at one stage in life, we find no pleasures in them at another stage of life. While we shrink and coy at that what God brings in our way, Let's be grateful that we have a wise God. A God who helps us to come out of our little corner and have a gaze at this great God who says, what I'm doing is for your good. I know your greatest good. I know that which you desire. And my good for you is that you become like my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ideal man, the greatest man, the standard of what God wants us to be. And James highlights to us that there's this hope that makes us strong as believers. It's fixing our gaze on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do so, we can sing joyfully, even in times of injustice, the words of the hymn writers, we are heirs of the Father. We are joint heirs with the sons, with the son. We are children of the kingdom. We are a family. We are one. We are longing for his coming. We are looking to the skies. We are watching. We are waiting. We shall reign with him. We shall rise. This must be our attitude as we go through suffering, especially in times of unjust treatment. Amen.